Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now, I'm thrilled to introduce today's guests, Ron Melmud and Caroline Larson, who will be talking with us about their book, Marvin's Monster Diary 5, ADHD Self-Esteem Blues, But I Brighten Up Big Time. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast again. You books are so incredible, amazing, wonderful. So let's start with Caroline, since she's straight in front of me. Caroline, tell me a little bit about you for first-time listeners and what this book means to you. Oh, yeah. My name is Caroline Bliss Larson. I'm a co-author on this series uh, with Dr. Melmed. Uh, with Ron. <laughs> and I currently live in Utah. I am an editor and a web accessibility specialist, but I love books. I love writing books. I love writing this series. Yeah. <laughs> this book in particular means a lot to me. The topic of self-esteem feels very personal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this series has been just a joy to to write with with Ron and to feel like hopefully we're making a difference for kids helping teach them tools about their emotions, their behaviors. I love meeting readers and talking to them and and seeing them light up talking about the books and talking to their parents as well (laughs) and seeing how how it's affecting their lives positively. (laughs) Absolutely. And your books, from everything I gather, they are top sellers and really reach the hearts and minds of kids, parents, and educators alike. Yeah, they seem to be really well received by our audiences and we couldn't be more delighted. Excellent. So moving to Ron, Ron, tell us a little bit about you and your role as doctor, writer, author, ADHD expert. Well, I'm a developmental pediatrician and I don't want you to get distracted by my accent because I'm from South Africa. And if you are excessively distractible, then maybe we can also provide some assistance later. But anyway, as a developmental pediatrician, I see kids every day with problems of anxiety, poor self-esteem, ADHD. And, and I've always felt in my practice that wouldn't it be great if kids like, like these had tools to actually change, make a difference in their own lives. You can just imagine the sense of accomplishment that would come when kids realize, hey, they can actually change how they are. And that's the way this series was born. I think that the issue of self-esteem is near and dear to everyone's heart. Every parent wishes their child would have good self-esteem, often because they don't have a very good self-esteem themselves. And they know what it's like growing up that way. And the, mm-hmm. and the traumas and the, and the trials and the tribulations and the imposter syndrome that they might feel that they have constantly doubting themselves. So... What we're trying to do is provide a very interesting story. We look at the characters and see how they grow real with real problems. Yes, they, it's a fantasy with little monsters talking about their challenges, but they talk about real problems and they characters themselves practice the skills that we want to impart 
And then they improve their behaviors and they gain more friends and they have happier families. Of course, this kind of therapy, which I refer to as bibliotherapy, kind of self-help therapy through books for children, is only a part of the overall treatment of any particular individual. But I think these, these books are appropriate, especially self-esteem, for typical children with typical problems and certainly those kids with ADHD who so often have significant challenges with their self-esteem. Such a wonderful background and so important because I really love the piece you said where many parents want their children to have high self-esteem because they don't have high self-esteem or didn't have high self-esteem at a young age. Can you explain how self-esteem is tied to ADHD specifically, but to the state of the world right now? So two questions there. Okay. Well, so maybe we can start with what is self-esteem? Self-esteem is like the capacity to feel good and comfortable with oneself. Uh, Children with good self-esteem have confidence in their worth and their abilities, and they have self-respect, and they feel they can address problems and approach them with self-assurance, build positively on their own experience. The best thing is when kids take on their own challenges and they succeed in actually doing that. It's a sure sure way of enhancing self-esteem. Now, just to step back a minute to answer that first question about the ADHD. So ADHD, we know, is a set of symptoms, the distractibility, hyperactivity, impulsivity, etc. However, the most important aspect about making the diagnosis of ADHD is the dysfunction involved, is the harm that's done. So you can't just have the symptoms. I'm distractible. I'm hyperactive. But am I suffering? Mm-hmm. Not suffering, no ADHD. If you're not hurting, either at school or at home, or on the sports, if you're not failing, by definition, you don't have ADHD regardless of how hyperactive you might be. The one very important impact that ADHD has, not just on the sports field and not just in the classroom and not just at the breakfast table, but it's on the child themselves, how it impacts how they feel about themselves, how it impacts how they feel about being able to rise to the challenge, their self respect, their self-assurance. In other words, one of the most significant challenges with kids with ADHD is the associated self-esteem difficulties. Mm -hmm. And how does that manifest in a child? How can a parent who's observing their child, and sometimes there's such overt suffering that we understand that, and we see it, the red flags everywhere, but what about for the child who's not really showing something so overt? Well, what I look for is kids who feel frustrated and angry and anxious and sad. Those ones who have difficulty making and keeping friends, often the ones who get teased and bullied. They just say negative things like, bad things are always happening to me. Everything I do is wrong. Things will never get better. I'm not good at anything. I'm not good as, as, as other kids. These are messages which are heartbreaking for any parent mm-hmm. to hear. But it's not a c- catastrophic. The important thing is to just be able to identify, well, what is it? These children have difficult, who feel unsure of themselves and have a hard time dealing with mistakes. It's a self-esteem issue. 
And okay. parents can definitely have a role, as can children, in changing that situation. Absolutely. I have one more question for you on that same topic. Is it also possible for low self-esteem to manifest in overcompensating, perfectionism, trying too hard, being unrelenting in pursuit of that straight A or perfect score? Do you see that often? Yeah, absolutely. The bottomless pit, that that there's just never enough that you can actually convince a child of their worth, that how mm. well they're doing, that they continue self-doubt with self-doubt and continue trying to improve themselves. Now, a little bit of anxiety in that situation is not a bad thing because it does certainly help success at the same time. However, when it's a chronic problem, when it's ongoing, when other things are going by the way, for example, their socialization with other child, other children because the child is staying at home and doing their homework nonstop, that's a problem. And parents need to be able to identify it. I think parents are always aware of it. Sometimes they have this gut feeling. They're not quite sure. Is it real? Is it a problem? Yes. What I'd like to convince fam- these families is if you have that gut feeling, trust yourself. Mm. Parents know more than you think you do. Absolutely. Parents, especially if parents slow down, slow down, observe your child, listen to your gut, listen to your child. I got that from Dr. Spock, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Benjamin Benjamin, Spock. Yes, he he wrote that in in about 1955. Oh, sorry, Caroline. (laughs) I was just about to switch to you. I have a question, but first you go. Oh, I was just going to chime in a little bit that it seems to me that a lot of emotional issues and behavior issues with people of all ages can probably, to some extent, stem from self-esteem, anger issues or depression, anxiety, someone maybe who has a tendency toward violence or maybe just bullying others or being bullied. That's It's this wide spectrum where the more we understand about self-esteem and how to foster good self-esteem in ourselves and then also in our children and those around us, we see that we just have better outcomes. We have better interactions with people around us. So it's been fascinating to me as I've continued to learn about this topic to see all the things that positive or negative self-esteem underpins. Thank you. And so I'm going to ask you the question that I'm holding on to in my mind, and then I'm going to ask you a question about how to build self-esteem, your top tips for parents and any listener who is a caregiver or educator. But Dr. Ron had mentioned anxiety, that we need a certain degree of anxiety, what I call and many people call optimal anxiety. Could you, before launching, because I don't want listeners to take away that my kids can't have any anxiety, all anxiety is is bad. We want our listeners to know there is this optimal anxiety. Could you describe what that is, please? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I've seen it sort of plotted on a graph before where it's kind of this bell curve of, or maybe, well, I guess depends on how the <laughs> how the graph is set up, <laughs> but uh, where you know if you're in a position of really high anxiety, your performance is low, and if you're but conversely, if you're in a state of very low anxiety, no expectations, no deadlines, no things like that, you're also kind of in a state of low performance. But as these two ends kind of come together, it sort of makes this bell curve where you reach that, as you said, the optimal, or 
optimal anxiety. I can't remember the phrase exactly. that you Exactly. That's just like yeah. optimal anxiety. And so if I hear you right, if you have no expectations, no deadlines, nothing, you don't even have to get out of bed to make breakfast, go to work, you're going to be, the child is going to stay in bed all day. But if we get them just enough anxiety, like, oh, I have a school project due, or I want to eat breakfast, and I want to get dressed, that just that level of anxiety will help them achieve something, yeah. something good. But if it gets mounts too high, too high, too high, then they will underperform or not perform at all. Yes, exactly. I, I think structure is kind of a way, another way to think about optimal anxiety, or or maybe it's a, it's a route toward the optimal anxiety because anxiety kind of carries a certain connotation with it, <laughs> that word. But, you know, if you have structure for your children, like, okay, I know it's summertime and you, you think that we just lay around all day and do anything, but even in the summer, we can have a little bit of a schedule. We don't have to be quite as strict, quite as regimented as the school year, but maybe by this time we're up, we're having breakfast. By this time we're doing our chores together. So I, I, and of course, I think the way that these conversations go down, the more kindness and understanding that's happening in these conversations definitely helps. But yeah, it's, it's kind of this balance of giving structure, giving expectations and boundaries, but still doing it with kindness, I think is kind of where, where in my observation, it seems that children and, and adults seem to thrive. You used four of my favorite words, <laughs> expectations, solid expectations, clear expectations, structure, boundaries, and kindness. Such a great foundation. <laughs> so before we move back to Dr. Ron, I would like to ask, what are three self-esteem, simple self-esteem boosting tips that you would invite parents to embrace that are likely outlined in Marvin's Monster Diary 5? But could you just give maybe three that you think are just super tips for parents yeah. to offer their kids? Yeah. I would say, see if I can think of specifically three, but really encouraging. I think one thing that we really explore in this book is encouraging children and again, adults <laughs> to be aware of how they're kind of talking to themselves. To me, that's what a lot of self-esteem comes down to. And that those are some things I've unfortunately learned from my own experience is that the way we talk to ourselves has a lot to do with our self-esteem. So. I think maybe as a parent, if you're recognizing your child say things like, oh, I can't do anything right, or why do I always mess this up? Or I'm so stupid, I'm so lazy, or anything like that, to correct and say, No, I don't think you're stupid. I don't think you're lazy. You're not. Maybe you're having a hard time with school and there might be a really good reason for that. So I think kind of helping helping kind of redirect the way that they're talking about themselves will hopefully help them talk to themselves that way as well. Obviously encouraging kids to recognize their strengths and to find things that play to their strengths. Ron touched on how having kids kind of strive for a goal. If I'm remembering correctly, it seemed like he was saying that having them strive toward a goal and, and achieve it is really great for, for a kid's self-esteem. So I think if we put them in situations where they can struggle just a little bit, just enough, I guess, than to overcome an obstacle, but have it be something that is achievable, right? 
yeah, putting them in those kind of circumstances to help them have success and recognize their strengths and maybe get some kind of discover a new talent. Maybe I think those are some things that can be helpful. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'm going to repeat them back before hopping back to Dr. Ron, just to make sure our listeners get those. The I'll do it in reverse order. Strive for achievable goals so that your child has optimal frustration, just enough to where they feel like they're learning something new, but not so much that they feel stupid or incapable. This second one is encourage the child to build on their strengths. That's fabulous. And the first one is self-talk awareness, that if you hear your, or the third one, however you look at it, if you hear your child saying, oh, I'm so stupid, or I'm not good at anything, really lean in and with empathy and say, ah, maybe be curious about that, but then also support them in seeing that that maybe there's another way to look at what they're struggling rather than being self-critical. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's a really good summary. <laughs> Excellent. God, I, I'm so glad I got that. Okay, <laughs> back to Dr. Ron. How about you, Dr. Ron? What are maybe three and more, less, whatever you feel like, some really good takeaways for building self-esteem, understanding as you two stress so beautifully that when you're helping your child build these, they can be also translated to helping the adult grow and change as well. Okay, so just in no particular order, so it's two or three things. Number one is that, as I said, the, the most effective way of improving a child's self-esteem is to give them a task that they're going to succeed at. When a child does that and they achieve success without your input, it's just amazing, whether it's learning how to fix a, a flat on their, on their bicycle tire or whether it's learning how to tie their shoelaces whatever it might be. The important thing, I think, is to, is to praise the process and not to focus on the outcome necessarily. So if you don't have perfectly tied shoes, that's okay. But if you praise the process of you really getting down to figuring out how to use the left side and the right side of those laces and holding them on, that's focusing on the process. That's what I like to do more than worry about whether they actually achieved and their goal or specifically or not. And I'd, letting a child say, yes, I'm doing it in the correct way. The second part of it kind of related to that is also to be really specific in, in, in your praise, not just to say, good job, nice job, good boy, lovely boy, very nice girl, you do, you know, but to be, I like the way you colored in, in the lines on that girl's hair and you made it such a pretty color which contrasts it with the sky or something like that. The more specific you are about the praise that you give children, the more it becomes real. Because otherwise it can be a little bit bogus and our kids will pick up that and blah, 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 mom. Yeah, you always say that. You're always telling me what a great kid I am. So focus in on the specifics and also focus in on the process. Now, one of my favorite things, which I do with almost every single kid that I see, is something that I call the family self-esteem builder. The family self-esteem builder, in, and it's used in the book by Marvin, and actually it's instigated by his grammasaurus, his grandma, who is called grammar for short. Grammar like in past, present, and future grammar. But anyway, she teaches the family how to do the family self-esteem builder, where this is when 
hopefully, hopefully, everyone is sitting around the table at night. You know, they're not just sitting at a counter facing a television set or something like that, but you're sitting around the table. It could just be two people. It can be three. Maybe it's four or five. The parentals and then the kidlets. And they're all sitting around mixed up with each other. And they first, as they go around in the circle, each person has to say in turn what they did that day, which they were proud of doing, which they really liked that, that they enjoyed doing. So sometimes kids might have a little bit of difficulty with that. And parents can model, okay, how to do that. I like the way I brushed my hair today. I like the way I didn't get mad when someone yelled at me. I like the way I was able to do some math in my head. Or I like the way that I remember to turn in my homework. Or I like the way that I remember to pick you up from school. <laughs> or something, like, whatever it might be. Each, the parent and the child, has a chance to say something positive about themselves. Mm. Each one of them. Now, this is not going to happen every night of the week, obviously. But when, when things get rough, to say, okay, let's have our family self-esteem building exercise. And that night we do that. After you've gone around in the circle, there are three or four people with parents modeling how to identify something positive. The next step or the last step is for each person in turn to say something which they saw the person next to them doing, which they appreciated and they enjoyed. It's such a simple thing to do. Mom, I like the way you gave me some cookies in my lunch today. Or dad, or, or dad says to, to, to Johnny, Johnny, I like the way you came out to help me bring in the grocery. Whatever specific issue might be, that's the family self-esteem builder, which I really, really like to do. Now, there are a lot of other tools that are taught in the book. And the one issue, I know it's a, this one sounds a little bogus, is to actually stand in front of the mirror. There's a book that I just recently read that to improve one's self-esteem and one's self-love, you stand in the front of the mirror and you have to repeat as many times as possible in about a five or six minute period, the words, I love you. I love you. I love you. Now, for it bogus, does it sound a little bogus? Sure it does. But the underlying principle is absolutely amazing to stop and use positive affirmations about mm -hmm. oneself. To actually be able to look in the mirror. Now, the kids might need help in identifying some of their strengths. I like you, Johnny. I like the way you are kind. I like the way you are helpful with your little sister. I like the way you're not a bully and you support your friends. Whatever it might be, and Karen has came, came up with ways, the anti-negativity elixir, that we have different activities which children can do to learn about their strengths. And there's also a family coat of arms and a child's coat of arms. There are plenty of tools in this book which really are very practical. They as I say, some of them initially might seem, really, will that work? Try it. It's amazing. It's free. It's easy to do. Any family can do it. You don't need to be an expert counselor. Parents know more than they think they do. They can be authoritative parents, not authoritarian parents, authoritative parents, and come up with tools. And kids can take those tools and take charge of their own bodies and be mindful. And that's the goal. And I love all of this and can see a parent saying, oh, but I'm already so busy and I'm already so tired. How can I do one more thing? These sound like strategies that can be woven into teeth brushing time, face washing time, lunch packing time, cleaning up the bedroom time, it, they, meal time. 
it they sound like very simple strategies that if parents are able to slow down and be mindful, make some notes from the book, from the Monster Diary series, from today's podcast, these are achievable, very simple, just a matter of practice, patience, and positive reinforcement, right? Well, the book is written for kids five or four to about 12 or 13 years old. So it's got a wide range. You know, some of the parents read the books to the children. Some of the children read it themselves. The good news is if the children read it themselves, the parents have kind of a cheat sheet at the back of the book, which is like what parents can do to reinforce mm. the skills that the kids are actually learning. Now, the parents, the kids will often come to their parents and say to them, hey, I've learned this skill. I was going to look into my drawer because I have an example of one of the kids did for me. If, when Carolyn takes over, I'll get it and come back to you. But when kids read about something, you know, instead of having their mommies nag them and tell them what to do, having this power ranger monster teaching them, hey, I had this problem and this is how I solved it. And they copy that and they adopt it and they utilize it and they succeed with it. Boy, they own that. And that's huge. That's the self-esteem exercise in and of itself. Just being able to read about a technique, adopt it oneself, and tell your parents with pride that you did it. Great stuff. Absolutely. And that ties into the part where you were talking about allow the, I really loved how you focused on that. You allow the child to learn it on their own because then they can own it. It's theirs, not something the parent forced or did, but what something the child did. And that's how we build self-esteem. Excellent. Okay. On to Caroline. Well, Dr. Ron grabs his his piece. Caroline, I have a question for you about any shifts you've seen in how today's world, the climate of today's world, might be increasing anxiety, low self-esteem, maybe even adding to ADHD. How do you see that playing out? Absolutely. I, I definitely think that just the state of the world really plays a big role into self-esteem and because a lot of the times when we talk about self-esteem, when we talk about mental health, there's a lot of talk about like trauma and someone having a hard childhood or bad relationships with people close to them. And that's definitely very true. But I think a lot of people who maybe struggle with self-esteem or with their mental health in some way, maybe had a good childhood, but also just find that life is very stressful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes maybe we just didn't Maybe we didn't learn or didn't internalize or have simply forgotten some of the coping tools, coping, healthy coping mechanisms to be able to have good self-esteem and good mental health. I certainly think that I hate to, <laughs> to uh, sound like a cliche, but you know, certainly social media can play, can play into that, but not, I wouldn't say social media inherently so much as the way that we perceive other people's lives or the way that maybe we try to make our lives look on social media. Maybe we think, oh, that person, they've really got it all together. They're going on all kinds of adventures and their home looks beautiful and clean. And maybe for kids, it's like, oh, they, that person is so funny and they have so many followers or they're, they have such good style or they're really good at soccer or something. We kind of see this very narrow window into someone's life, forgetting that that person's a human and that they have plenty of things that they're struggling with, plenty of things that are hard for them. 
And obviously the, the social media issue is a very complex one and a lot of good can come from social media as well. But I think mindfulness as our books teach is really so important to be able to kind of take a step back and and think about, okay, I'm having this reaction to these people on social media that I'm seeing who I think their lives are so perfect and mine is so not, but maybe if I can kind of coach myself through that thought process a little bit and think they want to show the happy things in their life. Maybe they're not talking about the hard things in their life. And anyway, (laughs) um, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Showing just the happy and not the hard. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you once that voice of toxic comparison, when we start comparing the self to others, the pictures of others' lives, it really toxic comparison. It just so works against good self-esteem. And I love that you brought up the piece of mindfulness because that's your the hallmark ST4 method. Stop, take time to think. And such a beautiful piece of the work you and Dr. Ron do is teaching children, wait, stop. Take time to think what you're looking at, not just with social media, but what you're looking at might not be the whole picture. Absolutely. And yeah, exactly. I think that applies to other things as well. You know, we look at current events, there's a lot of scary things and violence and just worries and anxieties about our our earth, our governments, our our housing market. I don't know, to get a little <laughs> to talking to the adults a little bit there, but you know, there's I think even for kids, they kind of absorb some of our worries about mm-hmm. about things at large. And certainly kids are aware of some of the the risks of going to school in our day and age. You know, they they have active shooter <laughs> drills, which is not something yeah. that we ever in my childhood we ever had to deal with. And that that was like 20 years ago, right? So certainly kids are aware of of some of these dangers or anxieties or concerns that we face. Or even even just kind of a general sentiment of division that I think a lot of these kind of current issues kind of drive, you know, political divisions, sociological and religious divisions. And I, I think kids also see that in their own spheres, you know, certainly bullying and bullying someone based on various things. <laughs> so I, I think being able to understand to to learn mindfulness really helps in those situations too because we can take a step back and say okay there's a lot of scary things going on in the world but also there's a very there's a lot of really wonderful things and very happy things and i can balance those things i don't have to always hold all the heavy things all the time and I, you know i think that's an important thing for kids who experience anxiety to remember it's like there there are some hard things that mm-hmm. really stress me out and i don't have to ignore them but I don't always have to be holding on to them. I can balance. The balance, another favorite of my words. Okay, thank you, Caroline. And back to Dr. Ron. What did you find for us, Dr. Ron? Well, I somehow thought this was a video cast, but I guess it's not. So maybe... Uh, but it, it is just... actually, by the way. So listeners may see you and they may depending upon what they... So thank you for the beautiful visuals because they can choose to okay. watch by well, video. You, you you raised it, so I'm telling you about it. But this is ST4. And these are the... A child made a whole bunch of them ST4 mm. for me and they laminated them and they use them and, and hand them out to their friends. They might even be selling them for all I know. 
but they hand them out to their friends and and they put it and they stick it in different parts of in, of their home and like maybe on the mirror or maybe on their trapper folders or maybe on their desk or maybe on their bedstand and they read ST4 stop take time to think that secret formula that Marvin Monster comes up with is something that addresses self esteem as well because when you stop and you think about actually what's happening you always make a better choice if you take it if you don't just react from the gut immediately and impulsively but you think about your behavior you're cognitively behavioral therapizing yourself and you are actually learning how to take charge by thinking about it if you stop and think you'll make a better decision every single time i just want to add on to what carolyn said about the concerns about the day and age with all the amazing problems that are being faced I'm really concerned that parents are falling into a trap, that they are beginning to feel that this is almost like a doomsday scenario, that climate crisis is upon us and there's no turning back, that political divisions are upon us and there's no turning back, that the United States' enemies are upon us and there's no turning back. There's nothing new under the sun. I think generations have faced similar challenges always. And there's always in, at the head of those generations, people who will say, the world is falling in. I've got a cynical approach. I don't trust in anything. There's no hope. It's all doom and gloom. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die kind of situation. As opposed to the parent who's an authoritative parent who can go forth and say, along the lines with what Carolyn was saying, we, there is hope. There is goodness in the world. There is, we believe that we will be able to overcome anything. We can be optimistic and we will remain that way. So I think some of the doom and gloom that children might be perceiving often is something that they might be copying or emulating from their parents. Parents have to be very cautious about how they are handling anxiety. Because if they are getting stressed out on a regular basis and they observe it, we know full well the kids will actually mirror that behavior. Absolutely. And if a parents can do the opposite and say, today I took a deep breath, I counted to three, I put on my yellow bracelet, which means I'm happy, my green bracelet, which means I'm not that happy, or my red bracelet, which means I'm very anxious, but I was in touch with my feelings. And then when I said to myself, Ron, you are stressed, I realized stress, that's it. Oh, I can deal with stress. I take a deep breath, I blow it out, and I say, I can do this. I can cope. If children see their parents at the dinner table speaking and having that kind of discussion, they will copy it, they will manage stress, and they will improve their self-esteem. I wish we had another two hours. This is such fabulous information, not just for kids but for parents, educators, every caregiver, because Dr. Ron, you really focused on one of my favorite things, which is we need to have hope. We need to be good role models. We need to remind ourselves and our children that every act we make affects the world in a positive or negative way. And so whether we're out there doing our bit to pick up trash, to use to not use plastic when possible, to all of those little pieces. Forget the plastic bottle. Instead, take a, a reusable container. 
every single thing we do as parents and as showing for our children, we can make these changes. And as parents are more aware of their anxiety, their frustration, and they process it, the less it will leak out onto kids. And you two are just really great emissaries for that message. I am so grateful. And you are definitely doing so much to help not just children be happier, you know, one of the familiar's main mottos, but you're helping families families be happier, work together and learn together and grow together and be more harmonious. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Any last words, Caroline? This is, I mean, this has just been a delight. I love talking about these books and talking with you about them. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very excited for this book to reach our readers. And I think there's some really cool tools in there, especially kids who like crafts might like this one. There's a little bit of bracelet making and some other things, but, but yeah, so I'm very excited for it to reach our readers. And I really hope it helps them kind of understand that you can get through anything. You might have some down periods where everything just feels really hard and you just want to turn into a little, little turtle and just, just seclude yourself and ignore everything, but you can get through hard things and with the support of family and the way that you talk to yourself, you can be a happy kid. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Anything else, Dr. Ron? No, just a message to parents. You know more than you think you do, and you can be authoritative, respectful, loving, and you'll raise children with great self-esteem. And it's never too late, right? No matter how old the kid is, it's never too late to get started, right? I'm working on mine right now. <laughs> Me too. I'll put my hand up. <laughs> We're always works in progress. Thank you so much to both of you. Where can our listeners find you and your latest book? Um, all of our books are available on familias.com and anywhere else that you buy books. And I have a website, carolineblisslarson.com. It's Larson with an E. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Excellent. Dr. Ron? I'm a newly part of Cortica Healthcare, the Melmet Center in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, sees children with with uh, and adults with all these kinds of difficulties and not part of Cortica. So if you look on our website, www.melmetcenter.com, you'll find a lot of information about a lot of these issues. And the books are on Familius, on Amazon. And we always love to hear from our readers. Any kind of feedback is just a delight. I've just saved some amazing letters, which I, I really enjoy and cherish. My favorite part of this job is getting to talk to kids and, and get letters and things, <laughs> see their drawings and their, their Marvin art. <laughs> Thank you. It sounds very rewarding. So listeners, Ron, R-A-U-N, Melmed, M-E-L-M-E-D. So that's Dr. Ron and Caroline Bliss Larson, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, Bliss, B-L-I-S-S, and Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N. So I thank you both for joining me today. And as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius publishing content, be sure to visit us at Familius.com, where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families like the book we talked about today, 
Marvin's Monster Diary 5. Ah, ADHD self-esteem blues, but I brighten up big time. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine, shine, shine as only you can do. 